Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I talk with Roger Ahn. He's a writer, director, and a 3D animator. We talk about his new short film, Alpha Fish, which not only integrates live-action characters with computer-generated ones, but it also took him nine years to finish. Let's get into it. And here we are with Roger on. Roger, thanks for being on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Tim. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I'm excited to talk about your film, Alpha Fish. Um, I'm really excited to talk about how you integrated live action characters with CG characters. But before we get too deep into that, can you give us a little background about yourself, what you've been up to, how you got into filmmaking? Oh, absolutely. Well, um, by trade, I'm a 3D animator. I work on television commercials and other broadcast projects around New York City. And I've been doing it, uh, I guess, about uh, over 15 years now. Uh, I definitely got into it because I always wanted to tell my own stories. And I wanted to uh, collect the skills, tools, and knowledge to be able to show fantastic characters. That's great, man. Did you? How many years did you say? Uh, about over 15 years, I graduated um, from the School of Visual Arts in 2003, and um, I majored in computer art with a concentration in 3D animation, and then uh, I started uh, freelancing as a 3D animator. That's great. 15 years is a good amount of time. I, I saw that the animation for your your short film, Alpha Fish, took quite a long time. Oh yeah, nine I mean, years. Nine <laughs> years. I mean, animation is a is is a long process, and three D animation is no exception. But I don't think people realize how long it takes. Uh, can you can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I think that a lot of people go to the movies and they watch the credits roll, and when it has visual effects, you suddenly see an army of names come up. <laughs> but let me tell you, when you're watching these big Hollywood movies with a giant animated uh, studio, um, the names you see are all the leads. There are probably five times more names that don't even get credits on there. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they have a ton of people working on that, and it, and it still takes years. Absolutely. I would say for a nine-minute short like Alpha Fish, if you wanted to get it done on like a, a real like Hollywood budget or something, you'd probably have... 20 guys working on it around a clock for a couple of months. But on this project, it was about 50% me on the animation for, you know, over to nine years. And um, I had help from about 10 other visual effects artists, you know, here and there, you know, uh, on their free time over the last uh, decade or so. And um, it's, uh, it's very laborious um, to do from home. And so I had to think a lot about how to be efficient and how to get it to work off of two workstations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And the amount of uh, dedication you have, I mean, nine years, uh, that, you know, that's, that's like you say, a decade. 
Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever feel like giving up? You know, that, uh, that's an interesting question. I'd say that this was the first project I really sunk in my teeth into, um, kind of full well knowing that it may take a decade and such to do. And, you know, it kind of serves as a time capsule of my life over the last 10 years because, uh, you know, I started off, um, let's see, nine years ago. That makes me about 27. I was a single guy. And here at the other end, I'm 36 and I'm married with a two-year-old boy and um, another kid underway in early June. And I would say that all that time while I was working on it, I didn't think about giving up, um, you know, long answer, <laughs> because yeah. it kind of, you know, I knew what it, it meant to me, kind of, you know, I, I knew that, uh, you know, it was why I wanted to go into this career. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it to the best of my ability and resources. And I, I kind of knew what I was in for when I was when I was coming into this. But I knew that it, you know, it was it was something I owed to myself, even when, you know, things in, you know, my life change, like um, having, you know, duties as a parent and such. And, you know, it, if anything, becoming a parent drove me even more to finish it. Mm. Yeah, I, I like your style. I like your dedication. Uh, I've been working on an animation project uh, for almost three years now, and uh, mm. it's a short as well. It's not 3D, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, traditional, but uh, man, it takes a lot. But I'm going to finish it, you know? Mm-hmm. I I hear you, you know, I... I, I uh, really was drawn to the title of your podcast, actually, because I think that really encapsulates uh, what it takes to finish in, in indie film. Uh, I don't know if any of your other guests have talked about it before, but that word grit means a lot to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Feel free to elaborate on that. I'll take all the flattery <laughs> I can get. <laughs> well, you know, I remember it coming up in the media a bit and, you know, just about how you know, kids learn grit when they're really young and it's something that pays out in big dividends as you get older. And when it comes to indie film, it's a really different mindset from being somebody that is what I kind of see, you know, as like an assembly line worker on a larger project. And you can be very happy in that smaller role, but um, with a project that you finance yourself and you conceive of yourself, you you need a different kind of dedication, a different kind of, um, and you have different goals with it. And I think without that uh, money, manpower, time dedicated to it, all you got left is grit. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, uh, I'm glad people are connecting to uh, the podcast and the name of the podcast. That's 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 yeah. great. That's what that's what I was hoping. Mm-hmm. Um, we we should talk about your film and. Uh, the character itself that is computer generated, it's mm-hmm. a goldfish. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 my family and I raised goldfish for many years. And uh, I would say that they're an animal with a, a greater inner life than people give them credit for. Really? Now, what is the life expectancy of those things? You know, they could um, go from five years to 20 years to even more. Um, I think it depends on, uh, you know, a lot of factors, whether it's uh, hereditary, environmental, and just the level of care they get. But um, Yeah, my, uh, I, I don't think my family was doing it right because they always ended up <laughs> dead. 
I, I joined a, a goldfish keepers group on Facebook and it's large. There are thousands of people on there and they talk about goldfish care. And one of the biggest things for them is when they see a novice, a picture of like a novice goldfish uh, keeper with a bunch of goldfish in a small tank. Mm -hmm. And it just causes agony <laughs> in this community. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the things I talked about in my film that I, I found really interesting when I started researching the subject were, was that some other countries actually outlaw selling goldfish at carnivals or, you know, just um, in plastic bags. Because, you know, the analogy they made was that if you put a goldfish in a large enough tank where everything, all the equipment is set up right, then you've got an animal that can live a long time. It would be akin to uh, taking a puppy and putting it in an unventilated room. Right. Uh, if, yeah, but it's a fish. It doesn't, you know, quite uh, connect in the same way as another mammal does. So I think people just go, oh, they just die easy when, in fact, if you set up the right environment for it, it, it thrives. Wow, your connection to goldfish goes deep. And... Uh... <laughs> And and so your childhood uh, goldfish uh, was the inspiration for this character. Yeah, definitely. I well, I have to say that I also was thinking about um, how uh, feasible it would be to uh, ch choose an animal to animate. And uh, working as a three D animator, I've learned that when you have a photorealistic animal um, that's a mammal with hair it adds a ton to the render time. It slows down your computer. There's a lot of technology involved in it. And, you know, most pets, they have hair. And it, even when you have scales, that's also a difficult look to achieve. So, it, you know, in my head, once I started thinking about the logistics of, uh, you know, how, what, what would be a charismatic, interesting character that I could actually execute, um, you know, fish jumped into my mind immediately because uh, they... Uh, they don't have, you know, they're, when they're emoting, when you have a cartoon fish speaking, it's as if, you know, they're one head with some limb, limb sticking out. So even though I did find a lot of complex technical issues, um, I would say that if I had chosen a bird or a cat or a dog, I don't think I would have um, been able to pull off some of that movie magic. Right. And I will say uh, the fish is uh, very well done. Uh, congrats well, on thanks. that. I never Thank would you. have guessed nine years but I should have <laughs> because uh, it's it, it's really nice, and I got a lot of questions about how you pulled that off. But uh, can you can you give us a brief synopsis of the the short film? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, Alpha Fish um, stars Rodrigo the Goldfish, um, who starts to get tired of performing tricks for his owner, and you know demands that he gets his own female goldfish out of the tank and. His owner is uh, played by me, um, is giving him a, a little bit of a hard time with it. He says, hey, I, I want you to keep performing tricks to impress my dates. And uh, he invites over a marine biologist and Rodrigo takes a shine to her and uh, the, their living situation changes. So Rodrigo uh, is the master of his domain in that uh, in that fish tank. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, nobody can tell him anything. I love the fact that his accent reminds me of the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> that was by design, definitely. Really? I, I was when I put out the casting call, I was looking for someone who sounded like Antonio Banderas <clears throat> or the most interesting man in the world. And you know, when I've seen some of my goldfish over the years kind of 
flourished their tails and move around. You know, I said, like, gosh, that's a, that's a, that's a more charismatic animal than, than people think it is. And, you know, they're, they're driven by, you know, many of the same instincts that, that we are. So, you know, I've seen my male goldfish chase female goldfish around a tank. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a goldfish that, um, you know, has a magnetic personality. And I, and I said, oh, you know, like, I think that the Latin accent is, uh, um, one of the most charismatic, and uh, you know, I I really lucked out in finding uh, Lou Mann who voiced a goldfish because I think that um, everybody um, really enjoys his voice performance. Yeah, it's great. With the animation of the goldfish, it, it's interesting how you you went real, uh, I guess, photo real. Is that the term? Mm-hmm. Photorealistic. You didn't go cartoony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. So you don't have big old eyebrows popping up or everything. It's as if a fish was talking. Thanks. It was uh, it was an interesting bit of um, character design that I had to figure out. Uh, I wanted uh, to portray exactly what you just uh, described over there, that a fish is actually speaking. And a lot of my peers are used to coming up with something a little more stylized, a little more cartoonish. Um, that has a lot more human features added in, like teeth or eyebrows, as you said. And I decided to go the other way. And that wasn't without its own um, issues with engineering, because a, uh, a fish's um, eyeballs are located on the sides of their head. So I kind of had to um, you know, move the eyes from where an actual goldfish's eyes would be so that it wouldn't intersect with the lip expressions that he was making. So I kind of had to revise that a bunch of times. So uh, the sculpting process of the goldfish, uh, which we call 3D modeling, uh, took me a couple of years um, just to get it right. You know, I love this kind of stuff where where there's live action and uh, computer generator animated uh, elements to it. You know, I, you know, I think of Roger Rabbit or uh, Cool World, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, how, how did you act opposite of a character that isn't even there? Well, we used a lot of different um, techniques that have kind of been explored in, in uh, movies like that. Um, you might uh, go in uh, thinking, all right, I'm going to put... Um, the voice actor, you know, as a stand-in behind the tank. And we're going to try to, um, you know, approximate where the goldfish is going to be with um, like a ping pong ball on a rod mm-hmm. <laughs> and tell the actor to, to look over there, you know, beforehand. Um, uh, acting and directing in this short was uh, a challenge. And I'm glad that, um, you know, I got a lot of good advice from uh, the crew that I was collaborating with. So uh, um, I used stand-in to set up all the shots and we determined the islands before um, going and we had another actor read out the goldfish's lines um, as, as a stand-in as well. So I thought that that was super helpful because I remember seeing the behind-the-scenes of um, recent Hollywood movies where they say it's very difficult for the actor um, to emote when the character isn't present. So I thought that having a stand-in reading out the goldfish's lines helped out a ton. Mm-hmm. And we actually positioned the stand-in behind the empty tank. That was my next question, was the tank itself. Uh, were, were you just using a, an empty tank? Uh, we filled it with water. Um, I had considered putting bubbles in there, but uh, I decided that I would add the bubbles in post uh, mm-hmm. because I didn't want the bubbles to uh, go into places that the goldfish might um, and intersect with later and such. So mm-hmm. um, that was a consideration. 
And um, I thought that it added a nice little bit of refraction, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating when you see some of the shots where you kind of catch the uh, the corner of the uh, tank. You you can see the uh, the refracting uh, of his tail or whatnot. Um, it's very cool. Yeah, that was thanks, thanks. That was uh, really interesting to figure out. Um, in three D, you have the ability to set up the uh, refractions of uh, various objects through their um, through through their shading networks, right? So I actually had to look up the uh, refractive index of water, which is uh, 1.33. <laughs> really? Um, huh. put, yeah, I had to put a cube um, that the goldfish was going to be refracting through, um, you know, and kind of match it up with the live action plate. So for those corner shots, I'm really proud of them because uh, they refract as they would in real life, and mm -hmm. you get the same distortion there. Yeah, it's it's great, man. Uh, so the actual water was in there. What about the uh, the the plants and the gravel and uh, other stuff? Oh, that was all in there as well. Wow, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a seamless integration there, my man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we had to do some post work where, um, you know, if the goldfish passed in front or some bubbles did, we would do some rotoscoping of some of the live action and meld them together. Oh, cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned the huge teams on the uh, the Hollywood studio films when it comes to visual effects. Um, how big was your team, did you say? Uh, approximately 40 people in the end. 40 people? With, yeah, with about 10 uh, people on the VFX side and about 30 in the live action side. Wow. That's fantastic, man. I, I really lucked out. I... You know, um, knew more people from the VFX side, and I, when I wanted to do this project, I, I went to uh, a networking event run by IFP, um, the Independent Film Project in New York City, and um, I was looking for a DP, and uh, somebody over there introduced me to Che Brodnax, and we really connected and got along great, and uh, he uh, had a lot of deep roots in the indie filmmaking community around New York City. So he helped me recruit everybody else in the live action crew who, who, was, who were amazing over a, a four day shoot and such. And um, they really taught me a lot about live action filmmaking. The uh, assistant director, Aaron Wertheimer, was uh, amazing at, uh, you know, being behind the camera when I had to be um, in front of it and such and switching mm -hmm. off and, and showing me a lot of different things. So, um, uh, I would say like the the bulk of the crew was around for those those uh, four day shoots and planning and and you know figuring things out afterwards, and then um, the ten other VFX artists kind of worked on it on their free time and uh, you know along with the post audio uh, by Joel Stearns and um, the um, After Effects compositing component and there were just a lot of different parts and I really um, enjoyed working with everybody and you know it was good to. Finally, get back to them and say, hey, we got into a couple of film fests. Yeah. Thanks for great. being patient. <laughs> to, for, for those people out there that, that don't know much about 3D uh, animation, um, you mentioned that the sculpting process took a couple years in itself. But can you just, you know, briefly walk us through the steps of... I would know, love to. Great. Yeah, I, I would love to walk you through the steps of that. Um Basically, uh, when you uh, build a character, you start with a primitive shape like a cube or a plane or a sphere, 
and you start to deform it and you kind of add details you um you know curve in lines and uh you sculpt it from uh you know the front side top and back mm -hmm. and when i started this process because i wanted it to look photo real uh i took a lot of dslr uh photos of my real pet goldfish rodrigo and um stitched them all together and and that was my reference for uh, building the cg character uh -huh. And once uh, the CG character is modeled, the next thing you do is to texture it, uh, which involves um, building a UV map, uh, which kind of looks like uh, like a bearskin rug. You know, you kind of have to find where it gets cut, flatten it out, and then you paint in all the, the details. So I actually hand placed every scale wow. <laughs> on that fish over the course of a few months after sculpting him for about two years on my free time. And then the thing I don't, think a lot of people know about is like once you've sculpted uh this solid character it's got to move so you have to determine where uh the skeleton exists and how it affects the muscles and everything so it's the best description i can give is if you see a big hollywood movie like um that stop motion like the nightmare before christmas um once you sculpt jack skeleton let's say uh, he needs an armature placed inside him so he can move and hold a pose. Mm -hmm. So you have to do the same thing in 3D animation, uh, which is called the rigging process. So um, I spent a long time building uh, a rig for the body, uh, which had an auto swim feature. So I used a sine wave to drive the, um, the joint rotations of the fish so he could swim faster or slower just with a move of the slider. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the face rig was separate. That involved uh, building target shapes called blend shapes for every expression that the fish would make. So you had to plan out every phoneme, every eyebrow move and everything and build a target shape that the computer would morph it to. So all in all, I probably built about 60 uh, more sculpts of every facial expression that the fish would make. Wow. The rig that you build, once you have the joints, you build controls that allow you to puppet it. Um, and what, what the computer lets you do um, in 3D animation and some 2D compositing programs is you set keyframes. So uh, let's say I decide in 24 frames, um, the fish is gonna go uh, from looking stern to smiling. Then you say at frame one, he's going to look stern. And on frame 24, he's gonna smile. Then the computer will fill in everything in between from frames two to 23. Mm -hmm. But um, if you just allow the computer to calculate that, sometimes it looks stiff and strange. So you, you have a uh, um, graph editor, which lets you calculate the tangents of each motion and how hard it hits, you know, or how softly it hits or how much it eases in. And uh, the, this is what a true animator controls. But um, the thing is that uh, you have possibly like 50 of these attributes. Right. <laughs> that you have to control from frame one through 24 to you know to one to two so um that's what the computer speeds up that um, if you know what kind of tangent you want it to hit then uh, you figure that out and you know you go from there and you learn how all these different motions interact with each other and uh, one body and one face now th there's always new software coming out and over the course of making this film over nine years were you using the same programs yeah, I uh, used Autodesk Maya, and um, I went from version 2008 through 2015. Wow. <laughs> so that dated through the years. And what killed me was that 
after version 2016, the the fish rig that I built stopped working. <laughs> oh no! They um they the physics engine that that ran it broke for uh, the dynamic fin movement that I had created. <laughs> so around 2015, the the. Uh, the, the, the big um, you know deadline happened. I said, "Oh, I have to finish it before the software <laughs> becomes obsolete." Yeah. Well, at least that you know they kept updating it. Uh, some softwares just uh, discontinue themselves. Yeah, yeah. Maya is one of the standards for uh, for film and TV, so I wasn't too scared of it going away per se. But um, I would say that a lot of things changed that technology. Um, I used a combination of mental ray and V ray to render the fish. And since, uh, you know, about a year or two ago, mental ray has gone defunct. <laughs> so mm. that part of it died. So that also was quite surprising. I, I always thought that was quite a good renderer. Um, the 3D animation culture has shifted a bit from, you know, projects that you could finish from home to, you know, wanting to be part of these larger uh, productions where you have like an army of people and an army of uh, computers to render on. So, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things about rendering that, um, you know, I, I actually feel like this was more um, of something I could accomplish on my own, you know, in the past than it was today, because uh, a lot of people coming out now use the best renderers. Let's say you've got V-Ray or Arnold or all these um, really quick uh, GPU based renderers. Um, but you, you need equipment or you need many, many computers to, to do one frame. While what I did for this project from home, I was able to render on two workstations. Hmm. Wow. But one would be out of the question, I guess, huh? Well, um, if I worked on one, then while the other was rendering, um, I would have to stop work. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah. So I would say that I had one newer computer that I was always working on and one kind of backup station to do some rendering. But at night, the newer computer would take up, you know, the, um, the, the bulk of rendering. Now, you mentioned uh, festivals and how, uh, you know, exciting that was for you. Um, can you talk about that experience? Um, oh. Where'd you apply? Where'd you get in? Yeah, I, um, I spent the last year um, applying to very, many different festivals. I uh, came up with a big spreadsheet of uh, hundreds of targets because, uh, you know, when you log on to something like Film Freeway, you've got 5,000 options. So mm -hmm. you you go for some of the big ones like Sundance, Tribeca, and um, uh, South by Southwest. And, you know, you go, okay, everyone's applying there. Um, you know, I'll put aside some of my resources for those. And then you look for a lot of smaller local film fests. And, you know, it was interesting to get back some of the uh, rejection letters from the larger ones and seeing that they got thousands of applicants. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that was that was that was kind of a learning experience for me where I kind of went, oh, I, I really should have calibrated my expectations because, uh, you know, with these larger, more well-known festivals, um, gee, you know, at, you know, thinking about it from the point of view of the juror, how do you distinguish yourself from thousands of entries? So I feel very fortunate to have uh, resonated with uh, local New Jersey and New York film festivals. And, uh, you know, my first uh, screening is coming up uh, at the end of this month on uh, January 31st at the New York Indie Theater Film Festival uh, run by the New Ohio Playhouse uh, um, for um, filmmakers who've branched out from uh, the theater world, uh, 
um, playwriting and acting in live theater. And uh, I yeah, I'm going to experience this, I guess. You know, it was something I always pictured in my head from as a teenager as being something I always want to be involved in and have one of my projects get into. Right. Yeah, it's great seeing your, your film screen at a festival. Um, so you come from a theater background? Well, in uh, college, um, I was part of an um, Asian-American theater troupe uh, in New York City called Peeling a Banana, and I was in it for about four years, and uh, we um, would write, direct, and act in our own plays um, using autobiography as a departure point for our narratives. So I think a lot of um, my storytelling experience got honed there. Hmm. Right. I mean, because you are the the writer of this as well. You wrote, direct, um, starred in, and worked on the visual effects. Exactly, yeah. You're a busy guy. I am. uh, It it was something a lot of my friends and family questioned. (laughs) I was was going into it, and I think that's part of that that grit we were talking about. I I said, well, you know, if I'm going to commit a lot of myself to this, I do want to learn about all these roles and get a chance to, to figure that out. And um, for what I may lack experience in, I'm going to reach out to and, and build a network of contacts to help advise me on that to move forward. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, people often say if they knew what they were getting into, they never would have started. Uh, <laughs> so you, you got to have that drive in the beginning, just to take the leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I definitely told myself for years when, when you asked me, you know, did you ever think about giving up? And, and I said, well, you know, the point of it, you know, of, of going forward was uh, for it to, you know, fulfill myself creatively, but to also um, help my uh, professional career in 3D animation, which I saw a lot of improvement in by working on this, uh, whether it came from uh, learning more about live action filmmaking and photography to even design of the titles and such, I immediately found that these new um, aesthetic improvements I found in my artistic eye applied to my professional career. Uh, so that kind of created a positive feedback loop. And I said, the more I do on Alpha Fish, the, the better of a 3D artist I become and the better I am to provide for my family and such. Yeah, I mean... Indie filmmakers especially, uh, you have to be a jack of all trades. And mm-hmm. the, the more you branch out and, and, you know, dip your toes in the water of different areas, uh, you start accumulating these skills, which as a director, uh, you know, it's invaluable. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, uh, I would say that I, I saw my 3D work improve as I progressed on this project. And, you know, I, I got to understand... You know, if I tried out various aspects of this that, you know, later when I would collaborate with people, um, you know, from a, ma- a management role, I um, would understand what to ask them for mm-hmm. if I had tried it myself. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, how does this uh, how does this film play for your kids? Are they old enough to enjoy it? Oh, yeah. My two year old, whenever he sees the goldfish up on my screen, he, he yells, see, daddy's goldfish, see, daddy's goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And it actually motivated me to make a children's cut and remove any of um, the grown up innuendo and uh, oh. make it suitable for my son to watch. And we got that version called the Talking Goldfish into a kids film fest. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't even uh, 
think it was that risque. I would have thought it would be uh, uh, kid-friendly as is. That's really smart. You know, I mean, with Finding Nemo and all those things, uh, kids gravitate towards this stuff. Oh, absolutely. I 100% I agree. And I got to admit, it was kind of ridiculous that I didn't think of it starting <laughs> nine years ago, that uh, I should have had it, uh, you know, be even more kid-friendly and such. And just how much any of my friends' kids, if they pass by and they see it, they go, what is that goldfish? He looks like he's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's kind of funny because, like you said, I didn't think it got too risque at all, really, um, you know, for anybody who's a teenager and such. But, um, you know, when, when I thought about my own son watching it, <laughs> I went and I, I kind of re I, I, I really paid attention to the edit. <laughs> hmm, interesting. So did you, when you, I'm curious, did you, when you made these cuts... Did you literally just cut out or did you modify the dialogue? I did. And I did a little bit of ADR and I went in and I um, modified the dialogue for when the goldfish says that um, he wants a harem. I, I had him change it to he wants a wife and mm. <laughs> lines like that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And it worked. I mean, you said you got into a kids festival. Yeah. The kids first film festival, which um, you know, runs in a lot of different locations and runs um, free screenings for kids uh, um, kind of side by side. Um, at uh, grown-up themed festivals and such. So uh, we're going to find out the kids' first um, screening dates uh, after February. Well, that's great. Now, I am curious about uh, what you're going to do next, but I'm al almost more curious uh, what the fish is going to do next. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could see, uh, you know, a web series or a, or a TV show. Is there is there a way to sort of automate it so you can always use the same... Uh, you know, clips and, and kind of streamline it into a, a, you know, an assembly line. It's interesting that you asked that because I've definitely been thinking about that with the positive response people are having about wanting to see the fish do more. And um, the seed of my idea currently is to utilize the iPhone X's facial um, uh, data capture feature. There you go. Um, yeah. The, the, um, the, these are, Animojis. Emojis that yeah. animojis. That's right. They mm -hmm. animate just using the the face scanner. It's a really interesting history to that. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but um, about four years ago, there was a facial emotion capture software called Face Shift, and I remember seeing it, a demo of it, and seeing one of my friends use it, and going, "Oh my God, this is going to make facial motion capture so much easier. This is great. It works so much better than its competitors," and then. Almost as immediately as I heard of it, Apple went and bought it to use it for facial recognition. Mm. And I thought it was off the market for CG animation. So I was so bummed out <laughs> three yeah. years ago. And then I saw it come out uh, for the iPhone X or advertising it on commercials. And immediately I started seeing uh, some CG artists adapt the facial motion capture data to connect with their uh, rigs and other software. So I oh, knew. Wow that it, it's back and um, I'm going to have to probably do a big technical process of rebuilding aspects of the rig and stuff and seeing what kind of data comes out and how to uh, connect it. But if I get that to happen, then this goldfish can speak more easily and I could um, maybe have um, a lot of different goldfish in different colors and such. So my idea would be kind of to create a goldfish lounge where uh, mm. goldfish go up on stage and uh, perform not like jazz standards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many options, but that would make a great uh, YouTube channel for kids. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. So I, 
I've seen some of my colleagues branch out into that in animation and being a dad right now, um, I think a lot about kid content and um, I'll, there's some good stuff on YouTube, but there's a lot of bad stuff too. So it's definitely, mm. definitely, definitely on my mind. Well, that's cool. And you, you always got the, uh, the option of a sequel because you kind of mm -hmm. left it in kind of a, a cliffhanger type thing. Uh, <laughs> you're not sure uh, what's going to happen, how he's going to react or how he's going to adjust to, uh, mm -hmm. well, I don't want to give it life in the away. pond, life in the <laughs> pond. There we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Life in the pond. It could be a good title too. <laughs> yeah. And that was another fish that you had to build in the pond. Um, a much bigger fish. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, was that as intensive or did you know, cause it's just going to be for one scene, you won't have to work as hard on that fish. Oh, you know, honestly, it was super easy because I took, um, the goldfish I had and I painted, uh, different colors into the textures oh. and then I just scaled, scaled that character up. Oh, that's pretty smart. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really easy actually. So if I wanted to create... I mean, 20 new goldfish, as long as the body shape wasn't too different, um, it would be rather fast at this point. So now that we know what the fish is up to, uh, what's what's the future hold for you? Well, I would say I definitely don't want to take nine years to create another narrative. Right. I, <laughs> so, I feel you on that. Yeah. Faster turnarounds. And I, I want to utilize what I've learned from this project and combining with new technologies that are available um, now. And I think motion capture has gotten a, little, a lot faster, um, even though you have to do a lot of cleanup on it. And um, you also have um, an easier workflow with 360. Um, I'm intrigued uh, about making um, a narrative that exists um, entirely across social media, like doing a panel of a comic per day on Instagram that moves and is animated. So I kind of refer to it as a social media motion comic. Hmm. Interesting and very timely. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that, you know, with Alpha Fish being self-funded and done on my free time, that, uh, you know, that was what, you know, made it hap uh, you know, take so long and, uh, you know, necessitated it happening over nine years. So I, uh, a lot of my mind these past couple of years was focused on, well, how do I tell another story that involves, you know, some VFX and acting and, you know, tell, tells a good story, but not have to spend as much money and time and effort, you know, putting out there. And um, I, I started, you know, experimenting with releasing, you know, short snippets of the, the film all over. And I really liked the feedback I got on Instagram. I really found that I seemed to connect with people that I didn't know that, you know, you know, responded to the fish's animations. And I thought to myself, gee, when um, I'm ready and I want to make let's say a sci-fi story with, um, you know, some aliens and robots and people interacting, maybe I could release this panel by panel on Instagram and, you know, just tell a story like that day to day. And then if people connect with one of my stories, then I could work on crowdfunding and such. And that's a way for me to workshop different stories so that I could move to my next short or my next, or, you know, attempt a feature. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to uh, not only build your audience, but get them involved in the process. Yes. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've kind of touched on this before, but, you know, just going from being 26 year old single guy to, you know, a 36 year old um, dad with an uh, amazing wife and, and kids, you know, it really changed my perspective uh, about story, about, you know, 
what it means to be dedicated to a creative project and, and such. And I really felt like I every bit of effort I put into this, I I got back, you know, with interest, you know, uh, exponentially. And I really couldn't have done it without all the support of all the cast and crew, my friends, my family, gosh, my wife, you know, she, you know, was there rehearsing it with me, helping me with casting, you know, um, helping me with voicing the actors, helping me craft a press release and such. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were def- definitely was a lot of love in this project. And, you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for everybody who believed in me and helped me out through it. So, you know, and it's, uh, it's really, really fun to be able to have a chance to talk about this with you on a podcast. Yeah. Now, what about the young guys out there that want to get into 3D animation and, and start producing content? Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for them? Well, I'd say learn a lot about story. You know, um, one thing I learned about working on TV commercials, which are shorter than feature films, is that uh, you know you have this um, real um, you know standard to hit that every frame counts because so much effort goes into it. So mm-hmm. a lot of 3D guys I know are focused on you know getting the visuals looking as amazing as possible, but I've always been drawn to both. I've always been drawn to story and the visual composition of something. And I feel that sometimes you could have something that's just visually beautiful. Sometimes you could just have a story that's good. But when one is married to the other, that's when you get something that really stays in people's minds for a very long time. So it's funny that some folks have come and told me, hey, you know, it took so long for you to make this. Did you think the story got stale and, and such? And, you know, I think that that was what I owed to, you know, my theater background and, uh, you know, and just consuming a lot of media today is that um, if you focus on a storytelling too, uh, you're going to have something that ages a little better. You know, you're going to have something that resonates a little more. And, you know, I thought to myself, gosh, you know, people are going to have pet goldfish uh, <laughs> forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, what's going to be going on in a, a pet goldfish's mind? And, you know, what's going to be interesting about that? And, and how does that relate to people around, you know, this pet? You know, people seem to, you know, get more and more involved with their pets as times go, time goes by. And, uh, you know, that's what I would say to a young 3D guy. Don't forget about the story. The story is really important. Mm-hmm. It's what's going to get you into a film fest. Another thing I would also suggest is that... Um, uh, you know, because applying to film fest is really brutal, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I'm sure you've, you, you've um, appreciated yourself. You know, you've got your peers to ask for, you know, feedback on. And, you know, some of them could be very unbiased and helpful and such. But one thing that helped me was to pay for critiques from websites like uh, shortoftheweek.com or um, uh, filmshortage.com. And um, there's one Canadian one, boom.com. And uh, I thought that some of the feedback I got there that I incorporated to later cuts was super helpful and it was unbiased and I thought that it was worth every penny I spent on it. I think that helped me get into uh, film best later. Interesting. I have not done that. So you, you, you go to the website and you, you pay certain people to watch something and then they tell you what's wrong with it? Yep, pretty much. But, uh, you know, they all offered paid critiques, um, you know, as kind of an add-on for their submissions. And, you know, it was interesting to get unbiased, you know, critiques back. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, some things they said, you know, might have been you know, individual to the reviewer. But when I saw something that was universal to like, let's say all three sources, then I knew, OK, this is something I've got to change. Right. 
So after your film festival run with Alpha Fish, uh, you, you're going to release it online? Definitely. Yep. It's always been my intent. And I think that, um, you know, the more eyeballs I get on it, the better it's going to be for the project and for, um, you know, future endeavors. All right, Roger. Well, I think we got a lot of good information out of you. And uh, ah, thanks so much. Congrats on the on the film. I, I hope you uh, keep in touch and let us know about your your upcoming projects and whatnot. Absolutely, Tim. It was it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, you know, I, I would say that this was uh, my first podcast interview, and I'm a big listener of podcasts, so that was a real blast for me. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Feel free to check out the show notes at IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter at IndieFilmGrit. And subscribe to us on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up. But before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit?